Hello, Marvelites who are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel comics on sale December 21st, 2022. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. And if you didn't know, the M stands for Maracas. Hmm. Have you ever played Samba de Maraca? Oh, hell yeah. Samba de Amigo, right? Samba de yeah. Amigo. They, they did do a sequel to it on the Wii. But oh, yeah. it wasn't as good as the one on, it's on the Genesis. or Dreamcast. No, not Genesis, it's Dreamcast. Yeah, yeah. I had Sega that, Dreamcast. baby. You got to have the Maracas uh, controllers. Yes, it was exactly. a blast. Yes. I miss dumb, ridiculous video game controllers. I still like hoard my like jumbo sized original Xbox controller because that thing was a beast. I grew up with two younger brothers and they were very prone to throwing things when they got mad. And let me tell you, that thing hurts when it gets thrown at your head. Yeah, I would imagine so. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, note to any of our listeners, don't throw things, period. Yeah, please. Uh, that's what I try to tell Bad Catherine idea. all the time. Don't throw Does things. Does she listen? Mm, she's getting better. <laughs> we, She had her favorite Christmas ornament was this sparkly glass hot dog that she found at jc penny when we went to go get our holiday pictures she loved it she was taking all around and then she went ha and she threw it and broke everywhere it was glass and i was oh my god we've been saying to her be careful be careful and she didn't understand that things will break and it was a good lesson i mean that's what raising a child's all about right Yes, but we are not here to talk about raising children. No, we are here to talk about all the brand new and even some classic Marvel comics because this is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics where we talk about all those new issues, give you our picks of the week, the ones that we love the most, and then give out some awards for all the other books. We're going to tell you what collections are out. We're going to hit you up with Marvel Unlimited, the new books hitting the Infinity Comics line, those scrolling vertical exclusive books on Marvel Unlimited as well as those that are new to MU this week. That and so much more, including a reading club. Jasmine, what do we have for our reading club? Okay, I'm so excited because Mm -hmm. I think, I think this might be my favorite reading club of the year. Um, Did I save it until this week to air before we do our end of the year wrap up? Maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe Mm -hmm. not, but it is Rosie Knight who is an amazing comics writer, uh, amazing comics historian. She knows all things comics. You know her from X-Ray Vision podcast, as well as her work over on Nerdist. But we were talking about one of my favorite comic books of all time, Young Avengers, uh, the 2013 series with Jamie McKelvey and Kieran Gillen. I adore this 15-issue comic series. And if you haven't read it, now is your chance to hit pause or maybe listen to the books and then hit pause. Read that 15-issue series. Come back. And join us for this amazing reading club because it's just us three fanning out about it because it's so dang good. Yeah, pretty much a modern classic, I think, is what yes, we Yes, absolutely. That. I'm shocked it really took us this long to get to it, to be honest. So we're going to get into that a little bit later. But right now, let's start things off with our picks of the week. I'm going to kick it off with Avengers Forever number 12 by the wonderful creative team of Jason Aaron Aaron Cooter, Mark Farmer, and Frank Martin, with lettering by VCs Corey Pettit. I love the way that they just say, this is our creative team. We are all working together as a unit. They have assembled together to tell this incredible part of Avengers Assemble. So this is part of the big Avengers crossover that is happening between the adjectiveless Avengers book and Avengers Forever. This is part three, The Siege of Infinity Tower. And man, it opens up with... 
this two-page spread that Aaron Cooter draws of a wide variety of Mephistos storming the Tower of Infinity. And you've got everything from little versions in like riding other versions of Mephisto to giant kaiju sized Mephistos to like robotic versions, warrior versions, mean clown versions, monsters of all kinds. It is gorgeous. You, it feels like Javier Garon and Aaron have been trying to one up each other with all oh, the yeah. Mephistos and I'm here for it. Quickly tag yeah. yourself. Which one are you? Ooh, ooh, ooh. I'm creepy tall one with the apron. Dang it. I was going to pick that one because he just looks like he desperately needs to wash his hands. He's like, oh, I got into some guck. Like, someone please <laughs> all right, give me fine. some hand sanitizer. I'll, I'll be Cthulhu face all the way on the left. Ooh, that one's creepy. Yeah. Right next to the one with the mask, the clown mask. Oh, clown mask. Clown. Yeah. So messed up. Very creepy. I'm also a big fan of the the mini one riding the, the warthog. I, it's so just there's so many of them and you get to see more so of them as the issue rolls on. But to protect Avengers Tower at the heart of existence in the God Quarry are all the captains because you also have Peggy Carter in here. But it's a bunch of Steve Rogers and a bunch of Captains America. And again, it's, it's one of those things where you can look and go, "Ooh, there's a cap wolf. Ooh, there's the the one that's like a cross between Nuke and Wolverine that we saw in that previous issue. There's so many in here and it just becomes this big all out brutal battle royale with versions of Captain Marvel showing up. You've got versions of Thor, one in particular who packs a punch, if you know what I mean. And then there's the version of Black Panther that shows up flying straight through the head. So cool. Of one of the kaiju sized Mephisto's. There's so many moments in here. I don't want to give away everything, but this is one for those who are obsessive about details. Aaron Cooter drawing tons and tons of little things all across the issue. When you get into Avengers Tower, just look around and see, ooh, there is a bit of Machine Man. Ooh, that's a Nova helmet. What weapons are those? Who are those in that case? There's so many little things and big things throughout this that you're going to want to really spend your time looking at this. And this is all, again, part of Avengers Assemble, which has kind of three fronts to it. You've got the combined forces of, of multiversal Avengers going up against the multiversal masters of evil. And then you also have the storming of Avengers tower by the Mephistos. And then you also have Avenger prime fighting Mephisto. So there's a lot of stuff going on here. We are just chock-a-block full of amazing moments, particularly that last page that Jasmine and I were talking about. We will not spoil it, but we were talking about it before we started recording and I like I told you, like as soon as I got to that page, I like this whole book. I mean, this whole event, I guess, has become just punch after punch after punch. Like there are no breaks. Like it just keeps going. And I love that. If you're a fan of Marvel, if you're a fan of Jason Aaron's work, like this book does not disappoint. Yeah. I also reread the Avengers Forever Infinity comics. There's a four issue mm. Avengers Forever Infinity comic that we released in April of this year by Jason Aaron, Kev Walker and crew that does kind of tie in to that last Ooh. page in a really fun way. So maybe go back and reread that. Yes. Next up, we have my first pick of the week, which is Mary Jane and Black Cat number one. It is written by 
Jet McKay with art by Vincenzo Caradu, colors by Brian Reber, and letters by VC's Ariana Mayer. One of the covers by J. Scott Campbell, where Mary Jane is holding a particular device. And if you've been reading Spider-Man for the past, I don't know, like anything in the past, like 10 years, 20 years, maybe like you, you are familiar with this device, or at least you kind of get at what it's hinting at. And I started getting excited because I was like, oh my God, are we bringing back this character? And as soon as we continued reading this book, we get to learn more about it. And it doesn't disappoint. This is a team up book between Mary Jane and Black Cat during the events of Dark Web. There's a lot of things that have happened in the world of Amazing Spider-Man when uh, we left the Beyond era and we had Zeb Wells taking over the Amazing Spider-Man book. We started off with this giant mystery. We don't know what the current status between Peter Parker and Mary Jane is. We learn that Mary Jane has a family who, you know, she's married to someone else. She has two kids. Um, and in this issue, we have Black Cat searching for Mary Jane. We see her stumble upon Mary Jane as she's literally fighting these demons, like fist fighting these demons. And she's carrying a big punch. Like it's not like an ordinary punch. Like there is some superpowers going on here. And there's a lot of questions that are, that are popping up. But as we quickly learn, Mary Jane has a device that allows her to access these jackpot powers that vary depending on her draw. So it works like a slot machine, right? Like you pull the, the lever and you get three, three little markers. And depending on what you get, it determines your powers. And we get to see how that works out throughout this book. And I won't spoil it because it gets weird. But if you're familiar with the jackpot character between the one more day and Dan Slott's mainline Amazing Spider-Man series, where we had all these different writers kind of exploring all these different, you know, bringing Spider-Man back to his roots, essentially bringing back some of the old classic villains, some new villains, some new reoccurring guys. And one of them was a anti-hero mystery character named Jackpot, who I grew up with and like I adored. And there was always this like, is it Mary Jane? Is it not Mary Jane? And to see this kind of come back here and this motif here is just delicious. Like it's so much fun because like I love seeing Mary Jane in action. I love seeing her alongside Black Cat. I like seeing their powers kind of like essentially complement each other because they're both luck-based powers. And it seems like, you know, while Black Cat might have good luck, Mary Jane doesn't necessarily always get that. So we get to see how bad luck plays into all of this and how it adds to the fuel of the fight um, as they're taking on these demons. We get to learn a little bit more about the mystery behind Mary Jane and her family. Uh, we get to see, you know, what's been going on. We get a little bit of Iron Man action. So Jed is really tying in all these these threads from all the works that he's been doing, um, including his relationship that he built between Iron Man and Black Cat. It's fun because there's, there's an easy way to write this character where it's like, oh, I have superpowers now. I wonder what this does. And it, she's not like that at all. She's very much like, I've been in this game for a minute. Like, I, you don't have to like baby me. Like, I know how to like play this game. I know how to protect myself and my family. Like, you don't have to worry about me. And it's just a different take on this type of team up that we haven't really seen before. Like, we got some of this before. But now we're, we're seeing a little bit more action with uh, Mary Jane, as well as all the spy thriller stuff. Um, and by the time we get to the end of this book, it's a, it's going to be an interesting pocket of this story within the Dark Web saga here, because we're in an area where we're not, none of the main stuff is necessarily happening, but I can see how it's going to play a massive role in the mix of everything here. Dark Web is a true treasure. Much more to talk about for those. But let's go to our last pick of the week, which is X-Men Annual number one. Firestar number five. Oh, sorry. 
<laughs> uh, X-Men Annual number one, which, yes, is a Firestar-focused X-Men issue. Uh, she, as we found out in the Hellfire Gala this year, joined the X-Men team, and she is just tremendous. We love her. And also, I imagine who loves her is writer Steve Fox, who was here with us on the show back in June. Steve has not done a ton of work for us. X-Men mm-hmm. 92 stuff, a bunch of other issues here and there, a bunch of great Infinity comics. But this, to me, I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to see what more Steve does in the Marvel Universe proper. So yes. good. And the thing that he does absolutely well in this book is Firestar has been one of those characters that's kind of been not sidelined, but we don't necessarily get to see a lot of her books. Like she's either been in a team book like Avengers or New Warriors. She had a short miniseries way back when uh, that was only lasted four issues. She was in another team book called Marvel's Divas. And what Steve does here is he's like, oh, yeah, I know Firestar. Let me weave all of these stories together. And if you're not familiar with her uh, backstory, if you're not familiar with any of these books that I just named, he gets you up to speed fairly well. If you don't know who Firestar is, Firestar was created in Spider-Man as Amazing Friends, the cartoon series, then brought into the comics, had um, a bunch of interesting little interactions, but we get all the story here. So if you are a fan of Firestar, it's like, here are some of the hits, here's ways to retell that origin, and here's, again, like Jasmine said, why she matters. But if you've never really gotten into Firestar, this is the perfect book for you because you get all the context for who she is, what she's been a part of, and what makes her special. You get to see her use her powers in really interesting ways and understand the wild stuff that she's gone through, the the sort of hurdles she's overcome to be here front and center and be a part of the X-Men. It is wonderful. There are great little interactions otherwise throughout the rest of the team because it is an X-Men annual. So you, of course, have Cyclops in here. You've got Iceman. You've got Jean Grey showing up. You've got a wide variety of members here facing off a bunch of different threats. I love the page in particular, which shows off all the different threats that the team needs to deal with on this day. And part of why I chose this book is because of the art by Andrea DeVito, who... Mm has always been a really great artist. I loved Andrea's art in Annihilation back, gosh, mid-2000s, and was really tight, really good, big, epic storytelling. And I think this is the issue in which Andrea really fully comes back to that. There's all kinds of wonderful acting on top of huge, epic battles there's a great scene with a giant storm that's happening outside of a hospital and then you get to see one of my favorite d-list villains of all time whirlwind like what a petty man so petty i even love how they explain like yeah whirlwind is a mutant but like a he sucks so we don't need to bring him here and b he doesn't care about being a mutant so we don't need to bring him here so c let's just trash him and get on with it it's it's a lot of fun throughout all this you get to see savage land mutates show up you get to see miles morales make a cameo mojo and the x-babies in a really very upsetting version of them it's all together it is an incredible package as we mentioned steve fox's writer andrea devito is the artist colors are by sebastian chang and lettering is by vcs clayton cowles Whether or not you're a huge X-Men or Firestar fan, I think this has enough for everyone to dive in and really get something that maybe you weren't expecting. All in all, a bunch of great books, and we have more to talk about very shortly. But first, let's get into our community section and our awards section, because what was our award last week? 
So I wasn't here last week, but you picked a really good one. You picked the My Brain is a Four Course Meal Award. Um, and that came from Amazing Spider-Man number 15. Yes, and the first person to find it was John S. via email who said, Hi, Agent M and Jasmine, first-time writer and medium-term listener. I finally found it on a Wednesday. Probably not the first, but this is the best I've done. Love the show, and thank you guys for the awesome reading clubs that always introduce me to new comics and creators. I also want to shout out my local comic shop, Galactic Quest in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Can't wait for next week's show, and happy holidays. Very, very good, John. Now, it was really fun because John was 20 minutes earlier than our next responder. We actually, I had to look at the time codes to see who was actually first. And so just 20 minutes later, we got a tweet from Richard Lee at Richard Lee 19, who said, found it. Speaking of four course meals, this story arc is making me hungry for more. Okay to eat. I mean, read. So good job there, Richard. You were so close, but you know, well, I got you anyway. You're all you're all sort of. And then Karis Pollard, our pal at a Karis Pollard, didn't find the quote, but she said, frankly, Layla's brain is barely a snack, let alone a four course meal. So it's a good thing. She's insanely cute. And sharing a picture of her pupper, Layla. Thanks, Karis. And just want to give a special get well soon to our pal Mountain Meg and the kids. They've just been getting over some sickness, cold and flu and stuff. So hopefully you got lots of great comics to read to make you all feel better. Ryan, are you ready to hear this week's award name? I sure am. It is the Star Spangled Butts Award. Mm-hmm. So if you find that quote, that line in your comics this week, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's Pull List, or even better, email us at pulllist at marvel.com. If you're among the first, keep your emails open, your DMs open, send you something fun. All right. Again, that award name is the Star Spangled Butts Award, and we are going to give it out to some comics this week. And I'm going to start things off with Alien Number Four, which sees the synthetics in uh, just a, a whole mess. They're going up against an alien queen. They are being lied to. They're being tricked. All kinds of things going on here. But I will give my Star Spangled Butts Award to the moment in which one of the synthetics pulls out its eyes and you have the like the inside milky white ew, goo ew, stuff ew. splurting out it is so gross so gross next up we have this is a book that could have easily been my pick of the week as well but black panther issue number 12 i've been waiting for this moment since john ridley first announced the book but essentially the avengers discover that black panther has created a kill switch option for every single member of the avengers and hero and that immediately disintegrates all the trust that they've ever had in T'Challa, not to mention the fact that T'Challa originally joined the Avengers to spy on them. Like, all of this compounded with the fact that there is a essentially terrorist organization that was started by T'Challa, who is currently trying to control the internet and essentially hold the world hostage over the internet, like, just absolutely crushes uh, T'Challa and adds all this weight to who he is and who he can trust. And... The thing I love about this book is it gets to the core of who T'Challa is. It is, at the end of the day, the main story that it always comes down to is T'Challa as an Avenger and a hero versus T'Challa as a king and a leader of a nation. That's what this book gets to at its core. And I am ready to see this whole thing play out. This issue, like I said, he doesn't have a lot of people who he trusts. So he has to devise a team to help 
combat the current situation. So he has to come up with a lineup of members who he doesn't necessarily have a contingency plan for yet because they recently popped up, they're newer, and they're all people that we've seen before in John Ridley's arc or in other books. And it is a total Ocean's Eleven like heist buildup issue. And it's so good because it doesn't play out the way you would expect it to play out. And the characters who he essentially recruits are bizarre. And three of them who make up a trio in that group are easily my new favorite characters because they are delicious. And for that, I am giving them my Star Spangled Butts Award. All right, on to Dark Web Ms. Marvel number one, bringing in uh, one of our favorites into the mix for Dark Web. We're going to see what Kamala Khan has for this entire storyline. But as is the case with all of the Dark Web stories, Things are getting demonized and inanimate objects are talking and causing chaos. There's one in particular in here. I was like, can we even do that? It is wild, but uh, it was, it's a blast. We get to see some new characters, but I'm going to give my Star Spangled Butts award to the return of a classic Ms. Marvel antagonist. I will say that and leave it at that. Love it. Next up, we have Gold Goblin number two, and this book couldn't have come at a better time for me because, Ryan, I don't know if you've been watching White Lotus. It just ended, and it left me incredibly hungry for more, and this book filled some of that, like, appetite. Like, it really satiated some of that appetite where it was like, this book is very much a character-driven book, and it is led by Norman Osborn, and it is him dealing with all the situations that he's pretty much dealt with his entire life, or, like... He's kind of dealing with the repercussion of it all. Like, yes, he had his sins eaten and taken away, but that doesn't leave away the memories that it left behind. Like, he still feels guilt. He still feels all the shame. And this issue really plays that out. We get all these these characters who come into his his world, um, including a dog who I love and adore forever. And I do not disagree with anything that he is doing because he is a good boy. But when you see what happens uh, and where he comes from and how he played into Norman's life before, I'm sure you'll feel the same way. But without giving away too much, I am going to say his name. His name is Mucky, and I'm going to give him my Star Spangled Butts Award. All right, we've got one of our favorites up next, Namor, the Submariner Conquered Shores number three. We've had, over the last year, a lot of books written by Christopher Cantwell, um, and so we've been able to talk about some really great work by Christopher. And I think for my money, Christopher Cantwell's writing on Namor has been the one I've enjoyed the most. He really connects with the character of Namor that, especially this older Namor, who's more contemplative, who is thinking about what he's done right, done wrong, how he's been a king, how he's sort of abdicated the throne and done a whole bunch more. And it's just, it's really interesting, introspective stuff while also being a great superhero book because you get to see Namor go up against the Frankenstein's monster yes. character here Did in this issue. I know, which is what gets my Star Spangled Butts Award. And it's all beautifully, beautifully brought to us by Pasquale Ferry and Matt Hollingsworth. It's a gorgeous book and it's one that uh, I think people should all be checking out. Next up, we have Sabretooth in the Exiles, issue number two. And Ryan and I, we were both talking about this book because it is the other side of the coin of Victor Lavelle's like Sabretooth saga, right? We got that first five issue series where it explored a lot of the like philosophy and morals of Krakoa and the mutants. But on this side, we get the action side. We get like the, the Sabretooth that we we know and love who we've you know, seen throughout, the, what is it, 60 years now of mm-hmm. history? And he 
for my money, writes one of the best Sabretooth. Like, he makes him so sassy. He makes him quippy, but not in a, like, Spider-Man quippy way. It's a very, like, sinister quippy type of humor where he's just taking all these digs at all these different characters and the the members of the team. And the best thing about this book that I love and I'm going to give my Star Spangled Butts Award to is the fact that, like, even though this is a team, they don't operate like a team and they don't try to operate like a team. They are very much after their own agendas. They all have their own ways of doing things. And the ways that not only the heroes, but also the villains go about getting things done is so manipulative and just fighting. Like, I don't know how else to describe it, but like the way that they all just kind of snap at each other and like articulate their plans is just fantastic. I can't wait for all of this to implode. We've got Spider-Man The Lost Hunt number two this week. Shout out to the cool variant cover that features the advanced suit from Marvel's Spider-Man video games in the style, the homage of the uh, the class, one of the classic Craven's Last Hunt stories. I loved that. And I will give my Star Spangled Butts award to naked leopard wrestling scenes because we don't get enough of them in our comics. So next up, we have Strange number nine, another Jed McKay joint. And in this book, we have Clea, who is the Sorcerer Supreme, uh, teaming up alongside Stephen Strange, who is the Harvest Man, which is the Sorcerer Supreme of Death. And together, they are teaming up to take out the Blasphemy Cartel, which I think is such a cool name. Um, but they are in a an artificial storm, uh, and they're in this like castle that is very Wizard of Oz, Emerald City-like. Um, and as they go in here, they're taking out this cartel led by Director Nunn, which is such a cool character and a cool artistic like design. Um, he's very much something that is just omitted from the pages with a giant zero over his head. The way that he responds to this infiltration is just so snappy. He's he's very much your stereotypic leader, snapping at all his grunts for not doing enough work, even though he's just kind of like wagging his finger and not doing anything, but it's great. But the amount of monsters that they fight, the gore, the love that's like you know brought back and like revisited in this issue is what i absolutely adore about this book because these two characters have a lot of history together and there is one particular scene where the two are kind of reliving that love and it's such a cute page uh it's short but it, it it brings you back and it reminds you like these characters have history these characters mean a lot to each other and oh yeah one of them is still dead um and for that i'm going to give it my star spangled butts award all right, rounding out, we've got two more books left. One of them is Wakanda, number three, and it's got two stories in there. A really cool story about a young uh, Njataka, uh, a.k.a. Killmonger, in here. And it's a really intense story. That was really good, but I'm going to give my Star Spangled Butts award to the story that is uh, the chapter three of History of the Black Panthers, because it's all about Nahanda, who is the Black Panther who established the Dora Milaje, just it's a banger it's a banger that's yes. all i can say yes about. yes i love it our last issue could have easily been a pick of the week we spent like at least 15 minutes talking about it before we even recorded because it is so outrageous and just so ridiculously crazy what's happening in the pages of this book but it is wolverine number 29 and it continues the story of hank mccoy and wolverine and if you've been following x-force and wolverine you kind of know that there's something going on here um that isn't you know necessarily the friendliest of relations, but we get to the core of it. We see where Wolverine is being stored uh, when he's not on his missions. We see the type of relationship that they currently have and how Hank McCoy, AKA Beast, is manipulating him and controlling him and the types of stuff that he's making him do. One of the things that I liked about this issue was that we learned that 
Wolverine is being held in a pit-like prison cell. Um, but one of my favorite scenes is like Krakoa is clearly paying attention to what's going on. And while Hank McCoy patches up all these holes about what's going on with Wolverine, like including the the rest of the world and Sage, as well as the mutants, like Krakoa is like, well, I'm going to play my own game, including one of my favorite scenes ever. Wolverine is kind of going into berserker rage and he's slashing the the foliage trying to get out of this cage. And Krakoa is like, yo, homie, what are you doing? I'm a sentient, like living being. Like, why don't you just here? Let me open this up for you. Like, all you had to do is ask, bro. Like, chill. Like, chill out, man. Like, Without I got actually you. saying anything, that's yes. the Jasmine's uh, interpretation. Yes, but like, the reason why I say that is because if you look at the art, if you look at the, the, the way that Krakoa looks at Wolverine, and it's kind of just like, like, it's a, it's a single page where like, you see the face kind of like, there's what, six panels? One, two, three, four, five, six, six panels of Wolverine kind of pacing back and forth, deciding whether or not to do this. We see Krakoa's face kind of emerge. Um, in the background, and it, as he's kind of just like, "What are you doing?" and opening up a portal or opening up a door, and it's it's it speaks a lot to the art in this book, which is done by uh, artist Juan Rosé Rip, who like, how do you like? I don't know how he does it in these six panels, but like, it is a face on a bunch of like twigs. He somehow is able to bring out those emotions on this like inanimate type object and really deliver an awesome scene. Yeah, the way I interpreted Krakoa was pure compassion and yeah. trying to sort of look at what Beast is doing to this mutant who he would call a friend in Wolverine and try to find ways to help him. And as opposed to being like, dude, what are you doing? More just like, I'm here to help. Yeah. Um, and because of that, I mean, even just the fact that we're both talking about this scene and interpreting it in different ways, I got to give my Star Spangled Butts award to Juan Jose Rip. Of course, this week, there's also a ton of collections to get you started. Maybe you need some last minute holiday gifts. So head to your local comic shop. Maybe some of these will tickle your fancy. Fantastic Four Life Story is fun. Of course, Captain America Symbol of Truth Volume 1 Homeland is a big one. If you're a Captain America fan, you better be picking up this book because you're going to regret it if you don't. Because I can guarantee you this probably will be sold out by the end of the year. Is that dang good. Yeah, there's a Miles Morales, Spider-Man Omnibus, Volume 2, Gwenpool Omnibus, and much, much more. Please go to your local comic shop. Give them some of your money for some great holiday gifts. And over on Marvel Unlimited, we have a bunch of new Infinity Comics coming to the app as well. So we have X-Men Unlimited number 66, which continues A World Without X. Uh, We have Spider-Man Unlimited uh, Infinity Comic number 29. We have Marvel's Voices, The Family Snick, number 30. Uh, Avengers Electric Rain, Infinity Comic, number 8. Love Unlimited, Hulkling and Wicking, which I've been a, a, just absolutely obsessed with lately. Issue number 29. Alligator Loki, which if you're not reading, you should be. And two holiday specials, which I'm very excited about because I love a good Marvel holiday special. We have Avengers Unlimited, She-Hulk Holiday, issue number 25, which is a She-Hulk-centered holiday book, um, which is great. And then we also have a test kitchen holiday special, uh, which is the season one finale. And it has a delicious cookie recipe. So I better be seeing you guys sending in those cookie pics because I want to see them. Cookies. Maybe I'll make them for my family's holiday, Ooh, for my family's Christmas. Please do. I'll take pictures. Yes. Post some pictures. That'd be great. We'll do. Also new to Marvel Unlimited this week, a ton of books. Axe Judgment Day number four is in there. Amazing Spider-Man number nine, which is the great Hellfire Gala tie-in issue. 
So if you missed that one, it's now in there. We've got more Axe Judgment Day stuff, including X-Men Red number six. And as we were talking about him earlier, Steve Fox, X-Men 92, House of 92 is also in Marvel Unlimited this week with issue number five. Uh, also want to quickly add uh, one of the more absurd collaborations of the year, Ms. Marvel and Venom number one, which is just so much fun. If you haven't read it already, highly recommend. It's time for our reading club. Again, Jasmine, what do we got? Yes, we are talking to the illustrious Rosie Knight, who is a fantastic comic nerd news writer and journalist, as well as a host of X-Ray Vision and a contributor to Nerdist News, as well as a comic book writer. Um, but we are talking about, not Godzilla, we are going to be talking about Young Avengers, one of my all-time favorite comic book runs uh, by Jamie McKelvey and Kieran Gillen. Uh, you know what? We're just going to get into it. If you haven't read it yet, press pause now before you come back and listen to the rest of the pod because I cannot recommend it enough. Jasmine, we are about to embark on a conversation about, I think collectively, one of our favorite series of all time. And I am thankful that we have our guest this week for this reading club, Rosie Knight. Hello, Rosie. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for this. Brian, you have no idea. I'm I'm such a huge fan of Rosie's. Um, We've slowly become friends over this past year, and I'm really excited to have her on the show. When I reached out to her about coming on the pod and I asked her what book she wanted to talk about, like I literally screamed when I I saw this. And I was like, yes, (laughs) I am so excited to talk about Young Avengers. So good. So good. It kind of blew my mind, actually, that nobody had picked it. But when I saw this one was an option, I was incredibly excited because I just feel like this is such a fan. Even though I've been reading comics since I was like a literal child, so decades now, this was a foundational moment for me in getting back into superhero comics in a really consistent way. Like ever since this came out, that that has been my primary space even though before it was a mix of superheroes you know the x-men was so important to me but also like indie love and rockets all that kind of stuff that had kind of taken precedent but this pulled me right back into that world of marvel and kind of the the superhero teams that we we know and love so well I love hearing the stories of what books pull people back in. We'll get into that, but we do need to talk about Young Avengers. I think first off, we are talking about the 2013 series. Yes. And um, obviously there's there's a ton of great Young Avengers content out there. It's from, from the start and multiple series and stuff. The thing that struck me so much was there's so much continuity like leading up to this that I was like, wow. This almost goes against some of the the grain that we talk about of like, hey, just, you know, dive in. You It is easy to just pick up, but it's also like knowing what's going on with Wiccan and Hulkling and the relationships and where, you know, America Chavez came from and Novar. And like you get drops and hints of like his story, but it's there's so many things that are that have led up to this story. That was the thing that like hit me like a wall rereading. It. Totally. I'm glad you brought that up too, because like one of the things that I that caught me off guard was like you mentioned Novar in this in this cast, and we should probably list out the people who are or the characters in this book. We have Novar, Wiccan, Hawkling, America, Chavez. Uh, we have Kate Bishop and Prodigy and Speed. And you're right, like I like I hadn't read 
maybe Marvel Boy I haven't read in years. And I recently really read it not too long ago, a couple of months ago. And then like just seeing how much of that continuity is in here from that book is wild. Like some of the jokes, some of the gags, like you said, the stuff that's going on with like Hulkling and Wiccan, Prodigy, all the stuff that's been happening with Utopia. Like it's just bonkers how much is like packed in here. I feel like the best thing is about it. Like you can read it. And just fall in love with the characters and Jamie's incredible art and, and Matt's amazing colors and stuff. Then it can be an open door to all those things. I feel like you can like retroactively go back and oh, be yeah. like, oh, this is what I need to read. This is kind of where it goes. But yeah, it's it's kind of unbelievable, but also the most Kieran Gillen thing ever to yeah. make what is essentially a jumping on point for a new version of a really beloved team it's just unbelievably dense with lore from like also the weirdest characters, like the most deep cut, like the representation of Nova in this book is just so cool, just yeah. so achingly cool. And there's such just, a like himbo in this such book. Such a himbo. I think about this book a lot, especially as like a comic book writer, but also as like somebody who writes about comics, the way that Jamie and obviously Kieran as well, but the way that they play with layouts and panels mm. in this book. It still feels just totally radical to me. And I think about there's a, a double page spread of Nova going into the club and he's basically beating up everyone in the club and they show it as almost like a, 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 a aerial view of the club with little numbered sections and then breakout panels showing what he's doing. I remember reading that and just thinking like, I've never seen anything like this. Like, and then at the end, he, he lands and he says, you know, come with me if you want to be awesome. I think that's <laughs> yeah. what he said. And it's like, yes, I would go. I would go with him. The, the great part about that, too, is that it's in service of the story. It's not, you know, gratuitous to make this really beautiful, weird layout across two pages where, you know, you, you read it in, in this clockwise fashion. It's it's there because you're feeling the motion, you're seeing the activity and the um, the energy of the the flow. And to tell it any other way seems like it just wouldn't make any sense. And of mm -hmm. course they write it, they write and draw it that way. Or the when they're in the mother's space, right? Oh, and oh, and they, think about they it are so often <laughs> going through the boxes and, and and crawling around. And yeah, it, to 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 try to like put it into more traditional panels just for the sake of making it quote unquote easy to read makes no sense because this is the, that's the right way for them to have told that story. They did mm -hmm. it perfectly. It's such a classic tale of just like kids yeah. versus adults. And then like, as you grow up into a teen, like teens versus their exes, like, and going back to like the, the lore of it all, like ultimate nullifiers in this book. I and know. Like, like from one other appearance in vengeance, like, I was just like, what is happening? But that's the wild thing because yeah. America was in vengeance as well, right? Yeah. It's mm -hmm. And I don't remember how many appearances she had from one to the other, but it's like a blowing of the wind the other way. Ultimate nullifier could have been the breakout hit character and people oh, could have easily, you know, like that. That was wild. I was like, that guy, right? That guy. At the time, it felt very formative, like of the era and the Marvel Now stuff, just because of how you know, funky and like different and cool it was. But now this book just feels like so important. And that representation of America is just so cool. And really like why I think she has such a huge fandom and Jamie's character design, you know, with the, the jacket, that's mm -hmm. the cosplay version we see. This is, and also as well, 
I guess now we're luckier because of the way that stories are being told, but this is a very gay book. Oh yeah. In a time when that was like not a huge, you it was unlikely to get a character. You know, you get the brilliant moment. Spoiler alert! But where Kate Bishop is like, "Am I the only straight member of this team?" (laughs) And America's like, "I see the way you look at me. Like you're not that straight." (laughs) And it's kind of like this this space where. That's just really representative of being a teenager. But I love that that is another thing that this book brings to this world is kind of the realities of sexuality and relationship and and the moments between like Prodigy and Hulkling is so well done. And and then obviously, you know, Wicked and Hulkling, it's like one of the ultimate Marvel ships of all time. So to kind of really get this space. Yeah. And that the parents, I just, I can't go over how clever that is as a way to establish a consistent villain throughout this story where you really want the focus to be the team. So you don't want to bring in like a massive famous antagonist to take away from it. So instead you just do well, it's like, yeah, it's just all their parents, but they're evil. And and this yeah. came actually from a classic superhero slash teen slash magic mistake, which is like, you did a spell and it went wrong. And now you have to deal with the consequences of your actions. That's just clever on so many levels and it's simple but it's it's not boring it's not simple because somebody else could have imagined it it's simple because that's the most effective way to tell the story and kind of the themes of of what is explored here is I love the different iterations of parenthood as well it's very nice to see like loving supportive parents alongside you know parental loss and grief and kind of the fun moment we get with Wanda where it's like this is your real mom, and she's just like a cool superhero. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's such a fun book. We talked about the creative team, you know, a bunch here and there, but I want to make it official. This series of Young Avengers, written by Karen Gillan, current architect of Avengers X Men Eternals Judgment Day, and just and a wonderful human being, pencils through most of the series by Jamie McKelvey, who many of our listeners know uh, wrote the recent Captain Carter series, which was terrific and has done a million amazing things. Uh, Mike Norton does a lot of uh, work on the art here with Jamie throughout most of the series, but you also have Chris Anka and Stephen Thompson on inks in various places. Matthew Wilson, just one of the goats, literally one of the, one of the greatest of all time. Smash colorists, like couldn't yeah. even believe the impact and beauty of the work that they do. Like, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. So Matt colors, uh, for the most part, the the series. There's one issue drawn and colored by Kate Brown, which is just a blast. That issue is number six. And then we wrap up the series with just bringing in big guns of amazing guest artists to Emma Vicelli, Christian Ward, Annie Wu, Joe Canonis, Ming Doyle, Becky Cloonan. I mean, come on. Just showing off at that point. Like when I got to that, I was just like, wow. I was like, we get it, guys. Yeah, you you have friends. You have cool friends. Cool. (laughs) No, those two last issues are some of my favorite comic books, like in all of comics, because it's just them just flexing and like really just dunking on everybody but also just having so much fun with like this world especially i think it's in the number 14 where they like have a text chain no it's before that when they like are bringing in all of the younger teams uh to fight the final fight in central park and like that text infograph where they're just sending text messages to each other is so much fun especially if you've like like i'm a i'm a big fan of like the younger teams like i love avengers academy i love the initiative i love new x-men academy team and when you get to that page you just see all of the characters and then like there are certain like 
not inside jokes, but it's like, if you know, you know, like uh, hazmat is like X'd out and it's just like missing in action or something like that. It's because she's in the arcade. Uh, yeah. Battle world. It's Avengers arena. Arena. Avengers (laughs) arena. There's so many little things like that, where it's like, for someone like me who loves reading these types of like teen books, like it's just like, Oh, they're all here together and they're all going to just be best friends and, and win and save the day. And then you get those last two issues where they're just partying. Like that's literally what it is. They're just partying. And then like, you're kind of closing off all these like small arcs that have been mm-hmm. happening throughout the books. Yeah. And I think like that, the design elements like you're talking about with like the text threads and stuff. And early on, instead of like doing recaps, they would design the page to look like social media, mostly like Twitter. Literally you know? was about and to it, talk about that. And and the Instagram stuff. And I think that's another thing that it shares with Wikdiv that makes it feel very similar. Yeah. But I remember like the pages where it's kind of like people doing social posts about, you know, Twitter or like to, to ape kind of Twitter or Instagram or stuff. They're so funny. Like they're not, again, it's kind of like what Ryan was saying earlier. Like this is not, they're not doing it for the sake of it. It works in the tone of the story. And Kieran is so funny when he writes these kind of quippy captions and 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 gives so much character even to just in a recap like everything in these books feels incredibly intentional and well thought out and i think that's even when you get to the stuff that to some casual readers like having different artists and having multiple artists on it, on it, final issues and stuff that can be a little bit i think like jarring or or confusing if you've had such a consistent look but it's all done so intentionally and it makes so much sense. And I personally, probably because I grew up in like the 80s and 90s era of comics, I love a good fill-in artist. I love a change of art. And that grew to me actually loving when people do it for a reason. And that is obviously in those final issues, what you're getting is the different tones and the different art styles. And it's so delightful. And yeah, that the issue six is so good and so different, but it works because suddenly you're in a different space and in a different story with these two new characters. So introducing them in a way that feels visually different, like makes so much sense. So much thought went into this book. And I think that's part of why it still feels so special all all these years later. Yeah. I want to go back to the, the social media post that you were talking about. That's issue seven that really uses it it's like a couple pages in too. I think one of the other things that I, that I love that it does is it makes it feel like time has passed because it's not necessarily a recap as much as it is like, you know, the young Avengers between issues five and seven went on a bunch of adventures because issue six <laughs> is is like a, a small like bottle It's a bottle issue. issue, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're a bottle issue where we learn about Prodigy and Speed kind of on the side as they have their side hustles going on, which I thought was hilarious. But like in between that, we get to see, you know, the young Avengers, like the core team going on all these different adventures that we don't get to really be a part of, but we get to mm-hmm. see little like moments. And it really does make it feel like time has passed. And then in the comments of those posts, we also get like the interaction. So we kind of get to learn more about the way that these yeah. characters interact with each other and their like dynamic and how that grows. And like, I love that page so much because it does so much for the book and the whole story as a whole, but also just like it it makes it feel real. Like it, it makes yeah, it feel like I was gonna like say, like, are... doesn't it feel true if there's yeah. teen superheroes? I mean, it becomes like it's very much in line with the things we know about Miss Marvel and, and the way that she loves superheroes and she loves being a fan, and then that translates to the way that she is a hero when she takes on the mantle. You know, that is so it's just real if you have a cool superhero you would post a picture of some cool cosmic space battle or you would try and take a selfie with wolverine like especially if you're a teen you know that kind of stuff and the funny thing is i think 
I don't know, because at the time I just felt like everyone that I knew loved this book and everyone in my sphere loved it. But I can imagine that some people might have at the time been like, oh, you know, this really puts it in a time capsule or it takes it too much into the real world. But hilariously, when you read it now, it's actually like incredibly subtle compared to the way yeah. that super social media has become such a massive part of our society. So it actually just feels still totally fresh. Like mm-hmm. the idea that they were posted to Instagram, which kind of just blows my mind that you can build in something that is so current and specific to our real world, but have it feel like a vital, important part of this fictional space that also kind of blurs that line between their world and our world, which is what we all want when we when we read these comics. I wanted to put a, this also in a little bit of context in terms of when it came out, um, because the the release date for the first issue is January 23rd of 2013. So right at the beginning of 2013, sort of in the early-ish part of Marvel now. But the other number ones that launched the same month include Superior Spider-Man, New Avengers by Jonathan Hickman. The regular Avengers by Jonathan Hickman is still only like four months in. Mighty Thor, or I should say Thor, God of Thunder is only three or four months in when this is coming out. What a time. Uh, Right? I know. um, there's there's a bunch of other you know books you know sort of kicking off or about to kick off in that time period, but it's such a such a fun time for for comics right there. If you have the collection like we do, at the very end there's like you know the final words and like Kieran mentioned he wanted the book to feel very 2013 and he's like and it started at the beginning and then it ended towards the dawn of 2014 and he's like and that's exactly what we did. The book is the book is the book, and everything we wanted to say is in there, in these 15 issues of oddly holographic structured pop comics. And I'm like, yes, that's... Perfectly Kieran Gillen, perfect yeah. truth. Yeah. Yes. Also in the back of this, in this book, as I was flipping through it, there's a huge Young Avengers playlist that yeah. Kieran put together. <laughs> and it's like over 50 songs. But if you really want to feel like 2013, there are some bangers in there. Like, Call Me Maybe. <laughs> oh, of course. Uh, Call Me Maybe's in there. We got some Azalea Banks. Will I Am. I got it from my mama. <laughs> Frank Ocean Lost. Kesha TikTok. Incredible. There's so many good songs in and here. And when you read it as well, you can listen to that playlist and read the book and it's just so in tone. There's something about what they captured there where you know when things that happen in an era are like intangible but I'll never forget like I was so into close harmony girl groups at the time when I read this book so like when I opened the page and it's like Nova and he's playing like Be My Baby by the Renettes I was just like wow I feel so seen like what a weird specific thing Mm -hmm. to be able to capture about an era but that was obviously I was not the only person listening to that and discovering that music and also like I've kind of this is one of the funny things I kind of discovered when I was in England but like obviously that what what was a kind of out there popular kind of oldie in America a lot of times was more of like a cult space in music and I think there was like a real big reconsideration and like enjoyment of of that specific era of music and and girl groups so even that I just think is such a wild thing where I was like wow that's so cool I totally love that too and you're just like this is like a band from decades ago but Kieran still manages to kind of encapsulate this moment in 2013 of what people were listening to even if it's not 
completely contemporary, which I just think is, and also to build music into comic books is a joy and not something we see a lot. So it's very cool to see the way that they do it with, with this book. Kieran's brain, something special. I love the way it works. and I love reading his stories and digging into those references and those touch points and, and having those connections. And I think it's, it's interesting you talking about it. And I think it works for us. I'm curious of how, you know, someone who doesn't have that connection to music Mm-hmm. sees this stuff or if they just sort of skirt past is like oh there's a person dancing to a song i've seen people dance to songs before huh and yeah like, is it kind of set dressing yeah. rather than that kind of impactful everyone has that friend who's really into music and always brings up like like the same way that we're always talking about comics like there's yeah yeah yeah, yeah you yeah. have that friend who always has to like have a way better music taste than you do or like has to always <laughs> like bring up a decades old band that like, you know, you should definitely listen to. I think I love that about it too, is like, we've talked about the cosmic and the character relationships and all these different aspects, but like each character is so well-defined outside of just like archetypes. And I, I am a, I'm an archetype lover. I love the four humors. I love characters that are like, you can define into sets of groups that started with my love of Ninja Turtles when I was a kid, but like, this doesn't do that. Like everyone here is so well-defined as kind of a whole character and a whole person, but they still fit into those contemporary kind of sub archetypes that we all know. The muso guy, you know, the badass, the loner who's not really a loner and wants to be part of a team. Like it's, it's very fun to see it, but they all feel so whole. Like I think you could ask 10 people in a room who their favorite character was from this book and like everyone would have a different answer. Which I just think is really, really cool. Rosie, who's your favorite character? <sighs> I really set myself up for that one. You did. Um, I think a singular favorite character is America Chavez. Probably still one of my favorite characters in all of comics, really. But I also, the Hulkling Wickham relationship is like very special to me. And I'm a Scarlet Witch diehard. I, I love Scarlet Witch. I love her in the comics. Uh, I really just, I'm such a big fan of how complex her history has been over the years. And and I, I love this representation of Wiccan. I love the Wiccan character design. It's so cool with the mm. red torn kind of Scarlet Witch. So yeah, that's my like, that's my fake out answer. Those are like my top three, but really I would die for any of them. I love them all. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure I've gone through many phases. I think Novar is arguably like the coolest character. Novar so and cool. America are on a tier there. That moment with like the guns, you know, come with me if you want to be awesome. I think about I'm like, that's the perfect mix for me of like film reference, but with this absolute irreverence and just like total over the top moment where I'm sure when you write it, you're like, this is so silly. But actually on that page with Kieran and and Matt and and Jamie and Clayton all coming together, it's actually like really unbelievably cool. <laughs> and it just shouldn't be. <laughs> well, there's that moment too with with Novar and Hulkling where Hulkling's like talking to him in the spaceship about how he's afraid that that Billy is like controlling reality and like shaping and, and like that's why they're in love together. And then Novar is just like, no, nah, bro, like I have psychedelic saliva. And like me and Kate are fine. And then he's just like, oh, I just shit. don't use it. <laughs> he's like, I just don't use it. And he turns around to Kate. He's like, hey, Kate, like, you know, I have psychedelic saliva, right? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, but I also have very like hypnotic body parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's and like, I was every, just like, uh, every part of my body is mind controlling or something, yeah. which is just and so I'm great. Like, yes, yes. But it's just moments like that. 
I also think like you touch on something that I think is one of the smartest story points of this book that again kind of goes back. There's lots of deep lore and there's lots of fun references, but there's also like story beats where you just feel the legacy of like Marvel and the stories that have come before. And I think having that really sad, tragic question of like, if you're in love with someone who can reshape the universe, how do you know that you even exist? Like, is are you just a conceit of their imagination to make their life better? And to do that with Wiccan is so clever and heartbreaking and smart in the context of Wanda and everything that we've known and kind of the 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 famous stories that we'd seen of Wanda by this point, you know, like this is a a very much a post house of M world. Like we know the scope of what that power can be. And I think that they utilize it here in such a a sweet, thoughtful, but like very tragic way that's not even an unfair question to ask, even though it does come from Loki, who but I feel like we under talked yeah. about how good kid Loki is in this book, who's like yeah. so outrageous and such a good like Machiavellian kind of like it's a perfect Loki, in my opinion, which is like is. good Loki and bad Loki kind of smushed together. And you never really know what he's going to do, but you don't hate him, even though he's doing some real messed up stuff. Yeah, I, I wanted to talk about Loki as you were talking about your your favorite characters. I was thinking about it and it's hard for us now in 2022 to divorce ourselves from the our sort of emotions and thoughts around Loki, right? Because Loki has become so prevalent uh, in our comic stories yeah. in 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 the MCU and something so we have this vision these many visions of Loki and it's great and Loki is so as is such a wonderful layered character and has only become more so in the last decade but shift back 10 years and if you separate out the the last you know bunch of years of Loki stories this is still such a perfect Loki story oh my here God. At the, unbelievably good it's so good. And, you know, right now my daughter is about to turn three and she likes bad guys. She likes the villains and villainesses. We start, I showed her Powerpuff Girls. She loves this one villain who showed up in like the first episode named Sedusa, who like <laughs> infiltrates the family and who's got like a Medusa haircut. She's, she wants to play Sedusa and, and the pink girls as she says it. And it's like, she, she likes the villains and I'm, and I, I think about villains a lot when I'm reading stories now because of the context of what my daughter is, is interested in and thinking about Loki and his story and the guilt and the what he carries through him and his arc in this and the revelations and all the pieces that is Loki because, you know, as much as there's all the wick, like you have almost have multiple spines to the story. It's like, you know, Wiccan is one, but Loki is such a strong one too and how that everything sort of revolves around him in, in a number of ways. It is heartbreaking and it's beautiful and it is funny and it's sad. And I, I think Loki to me is is absolute perfection throughout this. When I reread it, the Loki stuff was really the stuff that stood out. Cause I think I just think about the other stuff so much and so much of it's kind of like prominent to what I love about comics and the artists and creators that I love like Kieran and Jamie who are two of my favorite creators in comics in general it kind of like blows my mind how well done the Loki stuff is because the story doesn't start without Loki it's like it is right. a Loki story in its heart which makes sense with Kieran coming off of Journey into Mystery and everything 
but it's so subtly done and kind of as it goes through he fits so smoothly into the story and so smoothly into this kind of team and it even though he is kind of this guilt-ridden puppet master that never becomes the prominent part of the story like it's really it's just so well balanced one last thing i wanted to mention before we start to wrap up is on top of everything else that they do brilliantly how inventive they are with again the weirdness of it all earth 212 in particular is my favorite place because it is just an earth of new york city and it is just millions the way jamie draws (laughs) the new york city upon new york city like there's one shot of just empire state buildings that are building upon each other and then like the fleet of taxi cabs or there's an overhead (laughs) shot of manhattan but it's also there's a smaller manhattan and then a smaller manhattan and then there's the statue of liberty is surrounded by smaller statues of liberty (laughs) i love it so much there is so much intricate, thoughtful artwork in this book. Like, this is why I think I love comics anyway. And definitely the thing I remember as a kid is like, I didn't have a lot of things or a lot of books or a lot of comics. I had ones that I would reread again. And comics are, you can pour over every page. You can read a 20 page comic in five, 10 minutes, depending on how quickly you read, but you can pour over every page. And this book is full of pages like that where you just like, wow, the amount of work and thought and, and fun that goes into every page that you can kind of reread and explore and discover new stuff in is it's very magical. Magical. Agreed. It's a pretty good book, guys. Thanks for yeah, picking it, good. Rosie. Yeah. I, think it's, uh, I think it's pretty cool. You should good uh, give it a read if you haven't. <laughs> uh, yeah, everybody go check it out on Marvel Unlimited. It is the 2013 series of Young Avengers and uh, or pick it up at your local comic shop. Please support your LCS. Yeah. Rosie, thanks so much. This was a blast. Yeah, it was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so stoked we got to talk about this great book. Big thanks once again to Rosie Knight for coming and chatting with us about truly what should be one of everyone's favorite comics of all time, Young Avengers. Yes. If, if yes. for some reason you've gotten to this point in the show and still have not read that series, please, once you finish with this episode in the next minute or so, go read that dang comic. All of those issues. So perfect. Yes. So perfect. Also, I'm going to throw this out there because I think it makes a perfect holiday gift for anybody who is a Marvel Comics fan or looking to get into Marvel Comics. This is easily one of the most recommended books that I give out when people ask me how to get into comics. Mm-hmm. I say this is young avengers like you can collect the whole collection in one trade i assure you whoever you give it to will absolutely love it indeed and that about wraps it up for us this episode of marvel's pull list was produced by ryan panagos jasmine estrada and Kara mcgark allison brad barton is pull senior manager of audio production and development jill deboff is our director of audio yes and please make sure to rate subscribe share all that good stuff um wherever you listen to your podcast drop a comment or a review tell a friend it helps other people find the show Mm-hmm. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. And this is Mark. Your universe.